0: what really gets my dick hard is
1: Love your podcast, episode eight. I'm Ethan Luck, and I'm Clint Wells, and uh, we are about to tackle Metallica's most gigantic mighty record, the Black Album. Uh, I thought you were going to say Saint Anger. Oh, this is a Saint Anger episode. I'm sorry. <laughs> you got to flush it out sometimes, guys. <laughs> uh, but before we get into that, we got a couple things to address uh, in regards to our previous episode on the uh, the Hardwired episode that we recorded in Detroit and Miami. And Clint can take on that one.
0: Yeah, I just wanted to briefly talk about... So in our last episode for Hardwired, we mentioned the straight-up capital R rumor about Kirk Hammett and possible uh, drug use or just possible explanations for his lack of involvement in Hardwired. And um, there were some folks on the forum who felt like talking about Kirk's personal life was maybe out of line or... Maybe giving a little bit of heat to rumors that might not be true, right? And I thought about it, and I I definitely understand that point, but I did it did just um, it, it made me want to take the opportunity to say that like this is a Metallica podcast, and you know we're going to talk about any issue that we read about or that comes up in Metallica right. news. It's I don't, not like it's a, a, a something we made up. And I don't, I don't think that it would be possible for us to only talk about things that are 100% verifiable. I just don't think that's like reasonable or necessary. And it just seems arbitrary to me to decide what what you can and can't talk about. What's too personal? What's not too personal? I don't know Kirk personally. You and I both love that band and love his presence in the band. We obviously hope he's healthy and well, but. If we hear about something, we're going to talk about it. So I did. I did just want to address that. And wasn't it like stemmed from an interview with James? It was sort of predicated on an interview with James, and then the you know, and then uh, and then what um, this forum user pointed out was that our insider quote unquote information was from a Reddit user, and sort of the um, whether or not that's good information and valid stuff. I, I yeah. suppose. Yeah. Alternative under- facts. <laughs> oh boy, let's let's get started on alternative facts. Uh, let's not go there. Saint Anger is a great record, um, but I did just want to put that out there. Like we're going to keep talking about really whatever the fuck we want to talk about. Sure, with all, it's our with podcast all, with all due respect. <laughs> yeah. um, and I don't. It doesn't make any sense to me for uh, other fans to just sort of arbitrarily decide what we can and can't yeah. talk about.
1: And I f- I feel like you know <clears throat> over the years of being a long time Metallica fan that I have heard rumors about all sorts of things over the years and. I'm not saying that Kirk situation is fun, but it is fun to speculate on certain things. I'm not saying it's fun to speculate on potential drug use, but, um, you know, I've heard certain rumors, like for instance, you know, speaking of the black album, I heard years ago that Lars actually didn't play on it. I've heard that a few different times. Hmm. And to me, that's kind of fun to think about like, wow, what would it be like if he, maybe he didn't play on it, you know, but, um, it wasn't, you know, know, it's it's not fun to talk about someone's potential drug use, but again, you know, it's, it's always interesting to to take something that you you read online or hear an interview and maybe expand on it a little bit. Just we're you know kind of throwing out our own thoughts. Yeah. But in it's no it's in no disrespect to someone like Kirk Hammett. You know we obviously only wish him the best if he is struggling with something.
0: I so. think it's in the nature of loving a band as much as we love Metallica to analyze all facets of it. Yeah, totally. So that's all to we'll say about that. Yeah. I mean, it all comes from love. You know, of course, yeah. <clears throat> so Absolutely. That's what we say about that. In current Metallica news, they are they've had two weeks off from touring in Asia, and now they are about to do, I guess, a residency kind of in Copenhagen. Yeah, four nights. And, and some people have speculated that they might be recording an official live DVD. Really? Okay. Because you know they're doing four nights in a row at the same venue. Could this be? Uh, speaking of rumors, um, maybe Jason Newsted shows up. Oh my gosh! In Copenhagen. I know that according to that, was it an Eddie Trunk interview with Jason? It was, yeah. He said that he, him, and Metallica had plans this year. I know. Oh shit! I, I think if... I know someone who's <laughs> going to show up. <laughs> and T minus what was it? Four minutes before Tor- <laughs> before Torben. So uh, you know, you know, Torben's going to be there. He's Danish. Is Torben just like a professional Metallica dad now? Like, he's, does he need tra- travel with him all the time now? Ah, does he? I don't know. I'm not I sure. Felt, I, I felt like I, I saw a show that. recently where he was, like, side stage. I mean, he might.
1: I mean, he's got to be pretty old, and, I mean, you know that Lars adores that man, so I'm yeah. sure that he wants to take care of him. And Sure. I don't know if he normally just lives alone in Denmark, or, like, on top of a mountain. I wonder, yeah. With a big staff, you know? He's kind of like the Gandalf of Metallica. <laughs> he is, is he? yeah he's like you know, he's the he, Dumbledore he gives like the you know utmost uh you know amazing wisdom to his son about you know things like you should delete it and whatever yeah. but um yeah I don't know I mean uh I wouldn't go as far as to call him an extra member of Metallica like you know like you would <laughs> you know um god even you know like a Bob Rock or whatever right. who, you know was like a fifth member almost at one point but uh yeah I don't know anyway we'll do another episode on, on good old Torben
0: <laughs> so that's what they're up to, and hopefully they're going to debut more songs off Hardwire. They've already done about six of them. They still haven't yeah. done Dream No More yet. So I would them. love to hear that that one Me live. Me too. Gosh, I listened to um, <clears throat> uh, Hardwired
1: twice in a row the other day when I was in L.A. I rented a car and drove down from L.A. to Orange County to see some family, and I listened to it all the way there and all the way back, cool. and I, when I was coming back into Hollywood to my hotel... Dream No More was on and I just kept repeating it until yeah. I got to my hotel because that chorus is so good. I know. Oh my gosh, it's so heavy.
0: I hope they pull it off well live.
1: Yeah, well, they have been. I know I know they have been tuning down live yeah. uh, from the record um, and that's, you know, I can only assume is to, you know, help James, you know, his voice to last throughout a two-hour show. Yeah. Um, you know, you're 53 years old. I right. mean, come on. Two I hour- get it. It's fine. Yeah, oh, absolutely. I, it's understandable. You know, it's it's much better than a band like that trying to hit every note, because James did go through a phase like that where he was trying to hit those kill-em-all notes, but in like this sometimes falsetto-ish
0: kind of tone. It was really not flattering for uh, to his voice. I think a lot of singers, especially hard rock singers in their 40s, sort of have to make that transition where you just physically can't do what you used to be able to do. Unless you're Joey Belladonna from Anthrax, because that motherfucker can
1: still sing. Right. Oh my gosh, he can still hit all those high notes. But
0: And the dude from Iron Maiden, too. Oh, Bruce
1: Dickinson, well, he's like... I can only assume classically trained with his, I mean, it's right. like operatic vocals. I mean, right. which speaking of which they're playing here in Nashville in June, I think. Really? Are we yeah. going? I'm going. <laughs> I went last time they played. It was great. <laughs> I've never seen Maiden live. Oh, it's so good. You I'd love to go. go. Let's try to figure out how to go. Yeah. That was the first time I saw him. I saw him at a festival in, in Norway when I was on tour. Wow. That's like the place to see. <laughs> it was amazing. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I mean, and it's such a good old school eighties production. Like they have like a backdrop for every song that you know how they have like their artwork. They have like a trooper t-shirt in Reese's right. high t-shirt, whatever. Every backdrop is for every song and cool. it's old school. There's probably some dude down there. Cause you, it, it literally, it, when they change backdrops, it, it like, it goes across the stage. Like you're opening curtains, you know, <laughs> they're some, like not using screens. They're it's, not using like, kabukis. it's like cloth kabuki. Yeah. Well, I mean, they're not using kabukis, which in, you know, touring terms that's you know, when you at a show and you see a backdrop, they, just come down. Um, you know that's where the kabuki drops or whatever. Right. um no, it's like on a freaking shower curtain or something. <laughs> Just
0: sliding it right across the stage when I was touring with uh, opening for Zach Brown band in this little rock band called Duga that I was in, uh we played our set in front of the kabuki in front of the stage. Where like literally the kabuki was like on my back. (laughs) They just had us as far up as possible, and you were like, "This is a gigantic cape. This is a gigantic cape, just like kissed." I'm I'm Gene Simmons. I'm Gene Simmons. (laughs) I'm flying through the universe. Totally. (laughs) I was just always afraid it was going to like fall on me. Yeah. During our set, those things
1: aren't light. Yeah. Um, (laughs) All have to say, yes, we should go see Iron Maiden. (laughs) The cape. (laughs) Kind of. I mean, I'm a superhero. I'm a superhero. I'm the king of my. I'm the king of my world. Please let smoke start coming out of my pickups. <laughs> <laughs> um,
0: okay. B-
1: backtracking a little bit. So um, before
0: we get into the Mighty Black Album, yes. should we talk about the donate shit? Yeah, yeah. Uh, this is something that,
1: you know, a lot of uh, guys who do podcasts do. Um, I recently set this up on MetalUpYourPodcast.com. Uh, we don't want this to be like this sappy thing, like, oh, please help us, you know, alms for the poor. But, uh, you know, it does take some money to run this thing, hosting, um, domain, all that stuff. Um and so if, if you guys at any point feel like you want to support us financially, uh, you can go to metal, your click on the little dollar sign, donate as much as you want a dollar, a thousand
0: dollars, right? Please donate a thousand dollars, man. That'd
1: be amazing. <laughs> and um, by
0: us, we don't mean like our families and shit. We mean us as in metal up your podcast.
1: Totally. Yeah. I'm not trying to like, you know, like pay my electric bill with it. You know, <laughs> you know, it, it's stuff that can help us also expand the podcast. You know, we ultimately over time want to print t-shirts, buttons, guitar picks, mm-hmm. stuff like that. You know, um, uh, and just, you know, it, it'll help cover the basic costs of uh, running this thing, um, you know, upgrading equipment from time to time, getting better mics, this and that. So if you feel it in your heart, um, in your in your metal heart, please uh, go to com and
0: click on the dollar sign to donate. Yep. And that's that's all that's all there is to say about that. Yeah. It's, it's there if you want to check and it out. There is a lot to say about this record. I know. I'm so ex- excited. This
1: is the, this is uh, we talked about this right before we uh, came in my studio and started recording that. This, I mean, this is not only Metallica's biggest record, but it was a big, huge, huge, gigantic turning point in the band's career, mm-hmm. stylistically, production. Um, so many old school fans hated this record, mm-hmm. which I still don't really get. Um, and we'll talk about that. But uh, yeah, I mean, we can get into some facts right off the top here. Yeah, let's and, do uh, some
0: facts. There's some good stuff about this. All right. So The Boring Facts, uh, released August 12th, 1991, Elektra Records. First record produced by Bob Rock. Bob Rock. Who would have known at that time he was going to come in and
1: just shake it up so much? I know. Do you know that uh, right after this record came out, there was a petition going around to get Bob Rock to not produce any more Metallica records?
0: Right, and he hadn't even made Saint Anger yet. Yeah, they, they didn't even, didn't even know lower, how. They lower. didn't know how bad it could yeah, get. They didn't know where it was going. <laughs> but I, I read
1: online that it was. It was only something like fifteen hundred signatures. But I thought that was pretty humorous that like somebody took the time <laughs> to
0: start a petition. Because I, I can only assume they hated this record that much. You know what bummed me out about it is he said that it hurt it, it um it hurt his feelings because it bummed his kids out.
1: It hurt his feelings because I think
0: Bob Rock has a really big family. Okay, he's like a big family dude. He has like a lot of kids and shit. Uh, okay, and I don't. I think it rolled off his back. I don't think he gave a hot fuck about that. It hurt his kids' feelings. He said like his kids were getting like teased about it. So was it, it that big a deal? It Like affected his kids? Wow. Okay. I guess it like made press. Okay. I mean, this was like yeah. the biggest record in the world. You yeah. Know? Like, I mean.
1: I don't know. That just seems weird to me that like you know like kid. I mean I don't know how old his kids were at the time. Right. I mean I don't know. There's 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 plenty of things you get teased you get teased about while you're in school that are are far more damaging right. than uh, your dad shouldn't produce another Metallica record. But I don't know.
0: Yeah, it's it's weird, and it's it's just weird that they like they that some people disliked it that much. It's yeah, totally. Because the record just kicks so much ass oh my gosh it totally does <laughs> so they recorded it in la one-on-one studios It took 10 months check this out it was remixed three times mm-hmm. and it cost a million dollars now just for mixing oh just for the mixing i think that's i was what, about to say like i read that online
1: i think i think that's what that's what uh what i read that, that's what i gathered was
0: remixed three times and it cost a million dollars okay because i was gonna say like i've been a part of projects that cost almost a million dollars and you're not in the studio for 10 months or a year and a half yeah, or whatever. Yeah, like it you know. embarrasses me to say that, but a million dollars does not sound like a lot of money to me for Metallica to have made that record. Sure, yeah. To, to be in that studio for 10 months. Yeah. Um. They did, they did a, what, another week in Vancouver too, they, right? They did a week in Vancouver just to kind of get away and do overdubs. And, yeah. Um, I think it was mostly vocals they did up there. Yeah, and maybe some guitar. I think some of the, like... Um, like, James playing, like, a guitar with a Bigsby for the Nothing Else Matters, like... Phew. Yeah, like totally. They did that kind of, like, shit there. I think that B Bender thing on My Friend in Misery, they yeah. did there. Yeah, probably uh, the sitar Because I think um, it was just James and Bob, and then maybe Lars came up for some of it. Right, yeah. Because Bob Rock's from Vancouver. He's Canadian. Yeah. Of um, course he's Canadian. <laughs> <laughs> so 10 months to make the record, I mean, you know it it shows that if you put enough time into something you can really carve out a masterpiece. Yeah. Well, and, and I also read that um m-
1: the majority of these songs were written in in about a 2-month time period mm-hmm. while on the Damage Justice tour. Oh, cool. So, I mean, you, you uh, obviously, you know, if you I think you can go on YouTube and find the demos for this record, but um uh, to hear the
0: original versions to what it became is is amazing, but um, I've actually never heard the demos. I know they did like five they did wherever may roam Savage her sandman Sabat Sabat true. true, yeah um and there's some really cool stuff in there but uh are they pretty different
1: uh the other yeah, they're fairly different yeah bob rock i mean he had a pretty damn big influence on this record oh for sure um but i found it pretty fascinating that like the songs we know and love from this record were i mean the the basics of them were constructed in 2 months hmm. you know with 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 what i think is so much thought and time and passion in this record you would think Hetfield was writing these songs for years, you know, um, but you know, a lot of the masterpiece parts of this record were also done on the fly in the studio. Yeah. You know, Kirk solo on Unforgiven, for instance, you know, that's a classic example of, you know, that wasn't a preconstructed idea. He just was challenged and pushed by Bob Rock to write a
0: guitar player of the year solo. And to me like Bob Rock is definitely the MVP of this record because so many aspects of this record that make it kind of special, the, um, the strange sounds on Wherever I May Roam, the yeah. orchestra on Nothing Else Matters, Pushing Compo- James. Composed
1: by Michael Kamen, by the way. Which
0: is the sort of little nugget genesis of what would later become our beloved S&M. Totally. Um, but Bob getting James to be more of a singer, to perform uh, singing mm-hmm. instead of just sort of barking. Yeah. Uh, harmon- layered harmonies, getting the band to play in a room together instead of just tracking separately. Yeah, which they would never done before. There's just so much shit that he brought
1: to the table on this yeah, record. It's totally, absolutely. I'm trying to. By the way, side note: I'm trying not to say totally as much. Yeah. I have listened back to a few of our episodes and noticed how much I say totally. Yeah. And the other day, I had a buddy who's a big Metallica fan, who has been listening to all the episodes and wants he wants to be on our "Injustice for All" episode. Um, he totally should be. He totally should be. But uh he texted me the other day and was like, Hey, I just listened to your top ten episode. You say totally thirty two times. <laughs> he counted me saying totally. So
0: I'm gonna do my Damn. I mean, that's me, whatever. If I say totally, I'm just gonna totally say it totally, okay? But I will say that. I will say that as your friend, someone who's been friends with you even outside of this podcast, it's how you talk. It is how I talk. That's, I'm, listen, that's I'm how from you can Southern talk.
1: California, I say totally a lot, I say bitchin', you know, I say rad. So it's gonna happen. So you know what? Derek, if you're listening. I totally don't care if you hate that I say totally. Just
0: totally deal with it, Derek. Totally. (laughs) All right. Sorry for the tangent, everybody. Um, Metallica. So Black Album is Metallica's best-selling album. As of 2012, the SoundScan has sold 16 million records.
1: 16 in the U.S. Just in the U.S. Yeah, in America. Talking about making America great again, I think Metallica did
0: it in 91. (laughs) Jesus. (laughs) You want to make America great again, just re-release the Black Album. Yeah. Well, and I also read today, too, that, um,
1: and if someone's listening and can uh, confirm this, this is what I read online, was that it has never sold less than 1,000 units a week. Since then? Since 91. (laughs) Amazing. It's the best-selling record of the last 25 years. It's the best-selling record
0: in SoundScan era, which started in 91, I believe. Right. Um, It sells an average of 5,000 copies per week currently. Yeah. From, from then until now, an average of five thousand a week. That's insane, and I can't even
1: sell five thousand of my all of
0: my EPs combined that I've released. <laughs> but I'm I'm also not Metallica. Uh, the, how, speaking of a relic of the past, here's a little tidbit I found. Okay, of the album's sixteen point four million copies sold, five point eight million were purchased on cassette tape.
1: <laughs> that sounds so silly I in two thousand seventeen. I wonder where all those cassettes are right now. Uh maybe they're buried in the in the desert <laughs> with all the E. T. cartridges that Atari
0: got rid of. I don't know, but did you just reference the uh Infamous ET debacle of yeah, I re- gaming.
1: I recently watched that documentary. I did too. It's so good. On Atari? Yeah, it's, it, I think it's called Game Over. Yeah. It's about the ET game, how yeah. shitty it was. I saw it too. Oh, it's so good. God, Watch that on Netflix everybody We are fucking nerds, bro. We are
0: nerds. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. Uh, I have some facts about the "Wherever We May Roam" tour. Yeah, are there any more uh, actual album facts before we get into a track? By uh, track? The only thing
1: I, uh, I was really going to mention was, and I think I posted this on our social media accounts, is that in 2016, the Black Album sold 267,500 copies, and that's probably—I'm assuming—that's digital included. Yeah, um, but like the, like in 2016, the Black Album almost went gold. Yeah, <laughs> it, it was more. It was more than halfway there. Wow. Um. But uh, yeah, I mean, the only other thing I read that just blew my mind was that, um, and I don't know what year this was confirmed, but uh, they have sold 30 million copies worldwide physically. Hmm.
0: Physical copies, there's 30 million in existence. Let me ask you this. So all these facts about they sell an average of 5,000 a week. They don't go a week without selling at least 1,000, 16 million records, blah, blah, blah. What is it about the record that do you think that, continues to endure i mean it, like is it is it the song inner sandman like sort of in pop culture is it like what is it is I mean, it them I, touring and making new younger fans i think that
1: has a lot to do with it i mean i think they're they're the kind of band that's been around so long that new generations of
0: fans keep popping up and you know uh like their fans are having kids that they're turning on for sure it. Yeah. they're turning their friends on in school i mean yeah i'm just trying to account for like who are these people buying it every week?
1: I mean, you got you got to think, you know, um, you've got longtime Metallica fans that, you know, owned it on vinyl and then bought one of the 5 million cassettes and then uh, got it on CD right. and then got it digitally and then, right. got, you know, got the reissue, got the I, 100, I, 180 yeah. gram,
0: 45
1: RPM version. I you know. just
0: bought, and I, I don't know if we put this on our, our Instagram, but I think I put it on mine, but I just bought... Ride the Lightning, Puppets, and Justice on vinyl. Yeah. And I've I've probably bought those records five times. Same, yeah. So I guess that's just part of it, you know? I mean, I I know that I've personally bought
1: four versions of the Black Album. I've bought it on vinyl, cassette, digitally, and on CD. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm one person and I bought four. Like, you got to think, most Metallica fans that are around our age or older have probably done the same thing. Yeah. Um, yeah, and if you're a hardcore Metallica fan, you're buying every reissue, every remaster, all that stuff.
0: Unbelievable! It says a lot about the record, I think. Oh, yeah, <clears throat> no, I think so too. Um, because I think it's like, um, it, it, it's like in the same company. I believe in the top three is Dark Side of the Moon and in how long it's been in the Billboard Top 200. Uh huh. Yeah. I think it's like Carol King Tapestry and dark fucking Dark Side of the Moon. Yeah.
1: Which, Carole King Tapestry was one that's crazy
0: yeah isn't that not that funny and the I mean she's album. great yeah. but, sure of course yeah. but, um, okay so the tour which a big ass record that has this kind of legs is going to have a long ass tour five legs of a tour um, October 91 through July 5th was the first leg of the We're Iver May Rome tour then they did the famous or infamous if you will GNR co-headline. There was that one which,
1: which which we'll definitely do an episode just on that tour cuz there's so much to talk about on that Our tour. boy
0: Papa Het stepped into some pyro, burnt up his arm and face <sighs> like, and... A, like James into flame. <laughs> Can you say that like Turbin? <laughs> Uh, James, I
1: I think James should not have stepped into the flame so quickly. You wouldn't have burned your hands and had Jim Marshall fill in for you again.
0: Jason Newstead said that James looked like the Toxic Avenger.
1: Like his skin was bubbling. I mean, what uh, what was it? I mean, the temperature of... of those things. I wish my friend Wes, who's probably listening to this, was on the uh, on this episode because he does Pyro. Ah. And did Pyro for WWE for years and for King's Leon, a bunch of bands and stuff like that. Um he could probably tell us the exact temperature of that. I mean I'm sure it's
0: the exact temperature was uh It was at least twenty five degrees Celsius. <laughs> so then they went on to do so that lasted until October of ninety two. Then they did the Wherever We May roam European tour from October to December of ninety two. Then they did the Nowhere Else to Rome U.S. and European tour from 90, January of 93 to July 93. Then they did the uh, humorously named The Shit Hits the Sheds tour. The Shit Hits the Shed. That's the, for, for those of you
1: that don't know what uh, the, the slang is, what, what the shed means, it means an amphitheater. It's
0: kind of outside.
1: Yeah. Theaters. If you're like in the business, man, it's called a shed. Yeah. like We're like insiders. So. We'll do like a shed tour this summer, you know, <laughs> just like you know, hitting a couple of those. We'll have a kabuki and stuff, so...
0: <laughs> we'll have a kabuki, a, a kabuki cape. Yeah, we were going to use our kabuki, but Clint's using it as a cape right now. So <laughs> he's, he's trying to fly out of space with his guitar. So speaking of them tuning down from the standard E on Hardwired, this is what I read today. I don't know if it's hundred percent verifiable, so okay. I don't even know if we should be talking about it. Maybe we shouldn't. But apparently, on the Shit Hits the Shed tour, one of those shows, it was from May to August of '94, was the last show that they played live in E standard. Really? Like that tour was when they started tuning down live in 94 to accommodate James's voice. Interesting. <clears throat> I mean, at that point they had been touring for almost 3 years. Well,
1: and that and also at that point um or I guess you know, when they when they made the Black album, they also recorded So What and that was where James he blew his voice blew out. His voice out,
0: yeah. And I read that he had like relearned how to sing.
1: Yeah, well he I mean, he uh he talks about it in uh a year and a half documentary, and also mentions it in the um some kind of monster documentary he has that cassette he warms up mm-hmm. to and as a still has that yeah i mean i am assume he still does if that tape hasn't stretched out, but you know he talks about, he addresses it that he you know has to warm up properly now i mean imagine that like up until the it, it, through the recording of the black album he- didn't, wasn't
0: like a guy that really warmed up, he mm-hmm. just kind of just sang unbelievable,
1: which i mean that obviously can wreck a person's <clears throat> voice, you know.
0: I wonder if him blowing his voice out and really having to learn how to sing is really what set the tone for what I consider to be his peak years as a singer, 95 to 99. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I mean, he definitely, uh, like, that era, um, especially, like, when you watch S&M. Oh, dude. You know, he still has that Hetfield growl, but is, is technically is singing so well
0: incorporating there, falsetto and stuff it's, there's a video of them doing outlaw torn with the orchestra at madison square I mean, the, the
1: song that's not on snm
0: <laughs> on a, on another episode Sorry, we're gonna read some uh, <clears throat> fan mail and man they we really do get reamed a little bit about the old outlaw tour I,
1: I take full responsibility for that because <laughs>
0: i was staring at the track
1: listing and i i some for some reason said no it's not on this one
0: well, here's here's something so, like my for bad. some reason I don't know if it was an error, but it is listed on SNM simply as Outlaw Torn, whereas you know the song title on Load is The Outlaw. Well, Torn. that's see that's what I was looking for. Was uh, you the, were looking for the
1: The Outlaw Torn, and I just skimmed right by it. I guess.
0: Yeah. <laughs> well, the thing I like about what why so many people like were like so frustrated is because so many people fucking love that song. Totally, and me included. I understand and, like, it, and you
1: know. I, I, I do take responsibility for oh, dude, overlooking you're fine. that. You're fine, but I I, I have to, and, and we'll talk about this on the next episode with which is our fan episode. But I do appreciate the fans that have written in about that kind of stuff. It's funny, and it's, it's all it's in funny, love. and it's all in love. It's Every, all in all, love, we've, man. We've gotten surprisingly very little little hate mail other than "kill yourself, fag" on YouTube. But that's what I expect on YouTube.
0: I, I, the, we're going to read um, a bunch of fan mail in our next episode, and a lot of it's really funny. Yeah, there's uh, some good stuff. A lot of these folks have a lot of, some good humor. Uh, um, on the Shit It's the Shed tour, another interesting tidbit is one of the bands that opened on that tour was Suicidal Tendencies. Featuring Rob, Rubio. Rob. Rubio. Exactly. Yeah. I think they did the Mexico... Two worlds c- colliding.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, they also did the, the famous Mexico City show that yes. ended up on Live Shit, Binge, Binge and Purge. Which is a great show. Which I okay. have up there on my toy shelf. What do you have? Live Shit, Binge and Purge box
0: set. Oh, that's right.
1: It's yeah. in like the cardboard road case. Look at you, man. It's got like a stencil in there. We could stencil shit. We like stencil each other, man. Dude, there's, there's a freaking, uh, there's, a, there's a pit pass up there.
0: I wish that was still fucking valid. What if I brought that to the next Metallica <laughs> to show the hard and, they, and they let me in? <laughs> They're like, oh, it looks, looks legit, man. Yeah, uh, well. <laughs> uh, the last thing I'll say about touring the Black Album is, in 2012, they did a European Black Album 20th anniversary tour oh. in which they played the entire record in reverse order. Which is cool oh well you know why they did that because the first fucking five songs of black album are some of their are biggest the hits. hits the first five songs are five what five of the six singles right yeah and not un, un- nothing else matters yeah that was I
1: think that was the sixth single yeah, so, I mean, you're essentially, if you if you reverse the order of that record, you're getting the hits at the end, like yeah. you would normally... It's perfect. That's what, yeah, that's how you normally would arrange your set list. Yeah. isn't that interesting? I think it's cool, though. I mean, imagine... I wish I could have seen that
0: tour. I wish they would have done a, a full US tour of it. Man, I'm just... You mentioned it a few episodes back, but I hope they do something special for the 25th anniversary of Load Reload.
1: Yeah. I mean, well,
0: wouldn't... Uh, let's see,
1: Load, Load was 96, right? Yeah. And then reloads 97, or ninety seven or 98. So it'd be twenty years next year for. And I don't think I, I
0: think I think that according to the model they've been doing. I mean, I think they're still going to be touring hardwired. Yeah, yeah. So maybe by the twenty fifth anniversary that we'll be winding that all down, and it'll be time to do something special in yeah. honor. That would um, be cool. <clears throat> so that's it on the tour. I mean, they toured for a long time, and we're going to yeah. do a whole episode dedicated to a year and a half in the life. Oh yeah, and we we're, we're going to actually uh Clint and I are going to sit down and watch rewatch it again
1: before we record the episode so it's fresh in our minds and maybe we'll even maybe we can try to even do some kind of like I don't know, Facebook live or something where we just set up like one of our phones in front of my computer monitor and people can watch us watching or something. That would be pretty exciting, I think. <laughs>
0: For who, I don't know. We'd have to get maybe. real drunk for it to be exciting, I think. Well, we'll probably do that anyway. That's <laughs> yeah, true. I'm working on it right now. Are we ready to get into a <laughs> track? What are a you track? talking about? Clink, <laughs> clink, clink, clink. You ready to do a track by track? Yeah, uh, I, I I just re-looked at my notes.
1: The only one, last thing I want to say, and we'll go track by track. Sure. Uh, and I just thought this was really fascinating and kind of sad, is that the production of the Black Album led to divorces, for three-fourths of Metallica.
0: Right. Uh, and when James wasn't married then, so... Jason Kirk and Lars got divorces during the making of the record. Because
1: of the record.
0: And I think Kirk is on on record saying that they... Because they were all going through that, he believes that a lot of what's interesting or the heaviness or darkness attached to the record comes from that energy.
1: You know, I, <clears throat> I don't love when people get divorced. I think it's necessary mm-hmm. sometimes. Um but if it gave us this record. Eh. Well, I love the
0: Louis C.K. bit where he says, uh, no good marriage ends in divorce. Oh, I love that bit. Yeah. And I've actually, I don't know if you know this, but I've been divorced. Yeah, yeah I know. And uh, that was a really good thing for me. Totally. I think, I think, <laughs>
1: I think. like I said, I think it's uh, a really good thing. I think uh, it can, like Louis C.K. said, he's like, if you have like a really great marriage and then you get divorced, that really, that's sad. That really
0: would be sad. Yeah. What happened? Nothing. They were getting along just fine. Yeah. They're getting divorced. Like, that really is sad. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I love. He yeah,
1: it. It says, "No good, no
0: good marriage ends in divorce." Yeah. it's true. Yeah, it's, very it's true. One of the truest things I know of. Yeah. <clears throat> All right. Track by track. All right. Well, I, <clears throat> there's a lot to say about this first song, man. Is it? Are the we doing flag- re- reverse order like they did live? I'm just kidding. No. Is Inner Sandman the flagship song of Metallica's career? I would say it's the most popular Metallica song. Yeah, for sure. Globally. I don't think it's a song that represents them as well as um, I agree, as well as master of puppets sure or creeping death but it is the the song man like that's the song it was massive i mean it it
1: was gigantic that song i mean they when they would play award shows i mean it, it, that's the song that somebody who's not a metallica fan doesn't own one metallica record if you started to play it on guitar they'd be like oh I understand, man yeah it, it, i think that song has almost become a joke in some regard to not to metallica fans necessarily but to other people that aren't as big of fans. Like it's it's like this silly song from the early nineties, you know. It's like it smells like Teen Spirit. It, it's played so much. Yeah, you, you just get numb so, to it. Yeah,
0: exactly. To, to me yeah, to me it's like their and I don't know if this is gonna piss people off. I don't think I even give a shit anymore. But it's their Sweet Home Alabama. And what I mean is I think so. It, it, you and I as musicians, mm-hmm. composers, if you analyze Sweet Home Alabama, if you try to get away from just the cultural of it just being shoved down our fucking throats forever. Right student alabama is an amazing song yeah like it's super well played it's hooky it's everything that's good about songs is in that song that's why it's so ubiquitous mm-hmm. inner Sandman man is like that
1: but i also love that it's not like this conventional three chord song sure i mean there's a key change on the pre-chorus right you know but that's um, kind of metal like oh it's metal that's yeah. just like master puppets and i guess it's going from chorus, E to f but... sharp and right um, but yeah, I mean, it, it's, you're right in that. I think it's their flagship song. It's the song that
0: Metallica fan or not, you know it. And I know it's not super fast and thrash, but it's one of the coolest metal riffs of all time. At 100%. And I think
1: I mentioned this in a previous episode, like I can think about that riff and basically tune my guitar, like right. at least you know, to my E string, like, Oh, okay. That sounds like inner Sandman.
0: I'll play real quick. But yeah, that sounds right. And let's give credit where credit's due, man. Our boy Kirk Hammett, that's him. Yep. He wrote that riff.
1: I, I think it was one of his like little cassette riffs yeah. on his four track from a hotel room.
0: And Lars kind of like chopped it up a little bit and said to repeat the yeah. his original incarnation of it was the whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. And Lars said, make that the tale. Yeah, repeat this these yeah. this three times or whatever. Repeat that I think you should not delete it, <laughs> but repeat it. <laughs> Here's one thing, so I listened to it last night and I haven't one of the reasons I love this fucking podcast is I get to really go back and listen to these records in ways that oh, yeah. I otherwise wouldn't.
1: And I think listeners are doing that too. I've gotten some feedback Me about too. that. Me
0: too. We're going to I can't wait for the next episode to talk yeah. about that. But Agreed. so I'm listening last night with head my cans on in my studio. That's uh, industry talk for headphones. This is industry I just have my cans on at the shed. So, <laughs> I had my kabuki cape and my cans. And... By episode 20, it's going to be all Torben. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Welcome to Metal Podcast episode 35 I'm
0: so glad you're really good at it, because my Torben is Am I? I had so shitty. Oh, yeah. I'm just defaulting to German, or what I think is German. All right, let me ask our listeners, if you guys let us know... No, is don't he, let me know. <laughs> is Ethan's no? I, I think you're gonna be surprised. Let us know. Is Ethan's Torben Ulrich good or not? Is it or is it just okay? I, I think it's pretty. Fucking I won't funny. take any
1: offense to it. Well, and the thing too, you, you like with impressions. Obviously, uh, it's really cool to see somebody that's good in an impression. But if you kind of do an exaggerated version of an yeah, impression, it's I, like funnier, I think, or, yeah. yeah, I think it's
0: more funny. So I'm not trying to be serious. Come on. Uh, but here's what I noticed listening to it with headphones on last night, super loud. Is that intro is an acoustic. Guitar, it's at least an acoustic doubled over an electric. I think it's and, doubled, and I never knew that. I never knew it was an acoustic guitar. The clean, down, yeah, down, I mean, down, there's down. there's there's
1: a there's a high end to it, a, a, like a clicky sound. That, yeah, that's, you know, I, I, I'm sure
0: it's it's doubled, yeah, electric and acoustic. There's definitely it's definitely an acoustic in the bridge, but yeah. I never knew that was one of the top. Um, when the drums come in though, it's like, and this is one of the
1: things about Lars that you know, people knock on him all the time, but. We've said, you know, no Lars, no Metallica, like Absolutely He might not be the most technically advanced drummer, but when he comes in with it's special. It's special, it's memorable, you can sing it. Like it's the sound of Metallica. Yeah, it's I mean it's that intro. I mean
0: yeah. I'll say this, man, like over the last few months that you and I have been really like getting into this shit. I have a newfound respect and admiration for Lars. Me too? Musically, um, as a person... Which is hard to say, I think. It's a little hard to say. Because As a sort of nominal fan my whole life, I always sort of was like slagged on Lars maybe a little bit. I've been in that camp. I think a lot of people have. But now I'm like, man, you will never ever in any interview, in any live performance, in anything you ever see of him, you will never see him not giving 100% to Metallica. You are absolutely correct. And what the fuck else can you ask for as a fan?
1: Yeah, and I think he still does. I mean, yeah, I mean, there's you know, there's annoyances. It's like you know, like. But even the
0: cringe moments of Saint Anger are because he cares so much. It's true. Yeah, you're very, when he's, you're like, very that right. When he in that moment with Jason, when he's like, he quit the band. Yeah. <laughs> what does? What do we not get? He quit the band. Yeah. No, he uh, he really does. You're right. He he, he, he fucking cares loves so, that. band. It's his life. It's Metallica is his life. You know. I think he. I. Honestly, I'll just say that. I'll just put it out there. Put it out there. I think he loves the band more than James. He probably loves. I mean, he he started the whole thing. I'm just going to put it out there. I think he loves the band more than his children. <laughs> <laughs> uh, here's what I learned: that the title "Inner Sandman" had been kind of laying around for a while. They would had that title. Oh, with like no music, just yeah. A title. They just like, like they just cool. knew that they wanted to call us on that. But yeah. they, according to I read this in um, I think Mick Wall's book. They had the title and they were like, "What? But what is that song? We just have this cool title." Yeah. That's pretty cool, and it was the last song to have lyrics written for it on the Black album. Man, that's so cool. Um, that's that's all the notes I have
1: for it. I mean, it's the only other thing I'll say about that song that that I it, like when I first heard it and to this day that I think is really cool and creepy is that little kid voice. Yeah, doing the you know the the prayer, and yeah, we should have we should find that kid. And have I was going to say, I wonder what that kid's up to. Yeah, he's doing voiceover work. <laughs>
0: mostly just lord's
1: prayer stuff yeah um but no i I remember um when i one of the first times i heard that song i thought that was just really creepy taking something that is out of the bible and it's it's making it really dark and really scary sounding you know and the video was like disturbing a little bit you know like especially for you know in 91 you know i was i mean i got that i got that cassette that was one of the five million (laughs) 5.8 5.8 um And, uh, I remember seeing the video on MTV and I'm like, you know, it was another one of those, like when I saw the one video, I'm like, this is dark and scary. And the slow strobe lights and all the guys in the video was, oh man, that was a perfect fit for that song. I I thought,
0: I mean, I'll say this. And I think you're probably with me on this. Inner Sandman is not a song I go to a lot. It did not make my top 10. Uh, I don't even think it would make my top 30, but it is the probably the first metallic song i ever heard and it's the reason i love that band yeah and i i, I mean i would i would even go as far to say is
1: if Inner Sandman was not on this record i don't know if it would be what it is the I record mean, that was
0: the yeah I, I mean that was the song that catapulted this band who's that famous rolling stone journalist that looks kind of like Roger Water, robert frick or robert uh,
1: i know who you're talking about he, He's always always me in interviews and stuff he's
0: like he's he's like an amazing journalist yeah, he yeah. always has he's always super insightful He, I was watching a thing, I think it was on the classic albums of the Black Album, and he talks about how in a car, Inner Sandman, just just, like, he was like, I just remember being in a car, hearing it on the radio. He was Mm -hmm. like, the song jumps out of the speakers. Yeah. It announces itself. Like, you know, he just talks about how that, just something magical that wasn't really all just the sonics. Like, there's just something about that song that just grabs you. It's it's the definition of hook. Totally agree totally 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 okay <laughs> oh uh, one, uh, one last thing about this Dude, song, ethan I, I don't want you to be so, uh, self-conscious about saying totally i really don't want that i want you to feel free to say totally okay, okay. i hear you all right I'll, I'm all gonna right be, i'm gonna be myself from now yeah, on. yeah i don't <laughs> i mean look, we can poke fun at it but totally we can
1: <laughs> <laughs> that was natural uh yeah i was gonna say one more thing one more thing about this song is i just recently listened to mark maron's uh, interview with james hetfield which was good really good yeah. um and he mentions this song in working with Bob Rock mm-hmm. uh, that this was one of the first times he ever uh vocal, The kind of ad-lib at the end. Yeah, exactly. All this stuff at the end, um, Take My Hand, all that stuff, yeah. like he just did in the studio. And I'm sure they kind of cut and spliced it all together yeah, to make something pretty cool. cool. But yeah, first time of you know him trying something like that on their
0: fifth album. And I got to say, man, because I'm a load-reload kid, I love at the end of King Nothing when he says off to Never Never Land. Yeah, it's pretty cool. His little sort of like little salute to enter Sam yeah yeah they've done that a lot all right sabbat true uh, my Uh, first note on this is heaviest metallica riff what's heavier than sabbat true give it to me if it exists uh
1: the thing that should not be also detuned (sighs) that
0: would be a, a contender dream no more chorus Ooh. All right, these are contenders. I think they're contenders, but they're not. But they're not. It's not clear that any of those are heavier. Sure. mean, yeah, I mean, Sabatru might be the heaviest riff they have. It's. I mean,
1: and and it doesn't hurt that. I mean, again, back to Lars. I think he did amazing stuff on this record. Mm-hmm. Just going, gut, 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 is so it's a hook. I oh, know. it's such a hook. Yeah. Um. This was a personal note. This was one of the as a young guitar player. This was one of the first songs that taught me what like drop D tuning was. Right. I me think too. it's in C sharp, maybe. Yeah, I think it's lower than D. But it's still that drop D right. uh, tuning, but maybe a little bit lower. Um, it was the first time I learned what that was because I remember trying to figure the song out. I had like the tab
0: book or whatever. Me too, yeah. And
1: I was like, it doesn't sound right. You know? I know, me My too. I had the same experience.
0: Me. Yeah. Um, I think it's C sharp because I think it's down a half step in drop D. Okay, okay. So drop C sharp. Yeah, whatever. Well, I don't yeah. know how to say it. What it you is. would say
1: drop C sharp, I guess. Well <laughs> drop D is, you know, you tune down the low string a whole step and <sighs> whatever. This isn't a music uh technicality podcast. This is a Another
0: thing podcast. they did to make it so heavy is they ever since the Justice Record they, they put a third they double all the guitars, but then they put a third one that they call the thickener. Yeah. And you can see it in the making of the Black Album. They do a thickener guitar, but they have like an octave on that guitar.
1: Yeah, and I think in the in the documentary you see it where uh, I think James is playing and all he's doing is just going, gun, gun. Yeah. He's not doing a little riff in the middle. Right. Um,
0: hey, I, I support the thickener. Totally into it. <laughs> in, more, in more ways than one. You have no idea. <laughs> um, another thing that I think gets overlooked on this song is that in the chorus what Kirk is playing is this really cool drony it's like two notes um like ambient thing yeah that adds so much to that chorus
1: it, i mean it's it, to me it's it's partially the sound of the chorus yeah it's that little like you said drony thing that's just it's there it's like this little filler thing and uh i'm pretty sure it's only like two notes it's just kind of bending and going back and
0: forth
1: yeah exactly um
0: and yeah, I, love, I think that
1: makes that that's part of the
0: the, the, the chorus that really makes it for me. I agree, me too. And um, I I mean, I can't wait to really get it in stark stark contrast to the unmemorable moments of Hardwired in terms of solos. Yeah, I think the Black Album might be Kirk's best record as far as solos. I agree. I wrote in all caps, great solo. One of there's not one solo in the record I dislike. I do dislike one. You do? I'm interested yeah, to hear you, when we get to I'll it. I'll wait till we get okay, to okay. it. Okay, okay. But this... In in fact, you know what is interesting? We didn't even mention the Inner Salmon solo. For such a big, massive song that's sort of perfect in every way, one of the least interesting solos. Is that the one you're going to bring up? No. Oh, okay. No. Nope. Uh, I like this solo more than the one I'm going to bring up. Inner, okay, I like okay. Salmon, But the Inner Salmon solo is not great. It's not great. Um, For such a perfect song, yeah. it's like... It's the one flaw of that song, I think.
1: Okay, okay, fair enough.
0: But it's not total shit. Like, I still support you. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, man. You're welcome. So Sabbath True solo, awesome. Yes. I, I don't know if, in terms of badass, just heavy groove. I don't know if they've topped Sabbath True.
1: I love how sludgy and slow it is. I do wonder if, like the the origins of that song, maybe were faster and maybe Bob Rock had him slow it down just to Ooh. have a little more groove in there, a little more pocket. Because, I mean, once that, ga, 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 da, and it comes in, it's like you just immediately
0: bounce your head to it. I know. Um, it works so well on the record. It's so cool live. Yeah. Oh, man. the I think the lyrics are cool and interesting. Yep.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, and, that, and that's so, like you mentioned, Kirk solo in the song, and I think it's it's one of the more well- put together solos on the record to for me, sure
0: to, to me almost every soul on this record feels very thoughtful and, and orchestrated well, they like and, time and written
1: yep whether that was written beforehand or written you know you know, under Bob Rock's you know microscope like the Unforgiven solo right um, regardless of how it was created there it's to me it's obvious there was time and effort put into composing yep. these solos and I really appreciate that about this record me too I really wish Kirk would have done that on Hardwired
0: me too so Okay, holier than thou, Uh, an underrated gem. Underrated for being an A side. Yeah, well,
1: or I guess it'd be—is it a a double vinyl? The one I have is double vinyl.
0: Yeah, you're right, but it's still on the front end of the record. I mean, let's think cassettes, side (laughs) A. (laughs) Um, I don't. I believe it's in the year and a half in the life after they make the record, they're all out to dinner, and Bob Rock is saying. He's kind of saying, like, definitively, like, oh, Holier Than was the first single. Yeah. Which that's I think right. is so fascinating to see that now that over Inner Sandman, over Rome, over Nothing Else Matters, yeah. well, that was never going to be over the first unf- single. Over Unforgiven. A oh, Ballad was never going to be the first single, but over, like, Wherever May Rome or Sabbath True, Inner Sandman. I, I wonder if that was
1: his way of going, like, okay, we've made a, a way different record than all your previous stuff. Let's pick the
0: one thrash song. Yeah. I think I, that is. That what, or Struggle Within or something. You I know. think that's what he was thinking.
1: I think so too. Yeah, I wonder who made the final call. Like, nope, Enter Sandman. Probably Lars and James. I mean, I would imagine. I would imagine
0: my first guess would be Lars. Yeah. Second guess would be Lars and James. And Torben. (laughs) (laughs) Do it. You you want want me to do it?
1: (laughs) I think Enter Sandman would be the greatest first single of um, this album that you were going to call five.
0: Yeah, they were going to call it five, huh? Five. They were going to call it five or um, just one of the song titles. I'm surprised they didn't call it Don't Tread on Me because that snake is from the flag or whatever Yeah. Or the thing is Don't Tread on Me. Uh, and don't. Tr- get, did you know that Don't Tread on Me was the second single released after Inner Sandman? Was it really? But it kind of died. That was the second single? After Inner Sandman, they released Don't Tread on Me to rock radio. Interesting. Okay, I don't, th- I don't think I saw that. Wow. I th- I, I, when,
1: I, when I read that they were thinking of uh, calling it after one, you know, naming it after one of the song titles, I thought Nothing Else Matters would be a good uh, album title. Oh yeah, especially because it was such a departure album, right? And it's like, fuck it, we did all these thrash records, and like nothing else matters. Right. We're gonna try this, you know.
0: I do think you're right, though. I think maybe Bob Rock was worried that it was not a thrash record; it was kind of a groove rock record. And yeah, wanted to sort of usher in, you know, like bring the fans to the level. Yeah, and I, to me, we talk, we were talking about this before the episode, as we always do. We talk about Metallica before we start recording. I do to me holier than thou, and this is just my personal opinion. Feels more like a justice song mm-hmm. because it's angry. It's thrash. It, to me, it could have been on Injustice for All. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, I'm glad it's on the Black album because it's kind of like a nice different flavor. Oh, yeah, definitely. It's, it's the it's... only song like it. Well, oh, you mentioned Struggle Within. I think Struggle Within yeah, has some right. kind of thrash older Metallica elements to it. But but that's it. I mean, yeah. this definitely is a changing of the guard. Yeah, for sure. Which may explain why people people reacted to it differently. You know.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's huge differences on this record, and I, I, I can see why it, it was a surprise album stylistically for old school Metallica fans. But if you like, if you like good music and well written songs and good vocals, and I agree. Why would you not like this record?
0: So I, I agree. Maybe in twenty years, people are going to be saying that to us about Saint Anger. I mean, I'm open to I don't that. Think, I, <laughs> I don't know if I'm even open to that. I'm going to quit this podcast <laughs>
1: All right, uh, moving on because uh, this is one of my most favorite songs in their too, entire dude. catalog. Me too. Unforgiven. Um, it, it, it's. I mean, it's. It, to me, it's a pretty perfect song. It's. I believe the first time that when the chorus hits, it's a down chorus, meaning it's not high energy, huge. Thought, yeah. What I've known. Yeah, that's. It yeah, kind the, of the, mellows the v- out. The verses are the big part. That's true. The verses and the solo are the big moments in the song. And the course. Well, is, the first
0: uh, half of the solo is clean and chill. Right. and- it, Yeah, Um, I I love that about this song because it it was a little. I've actually never thought about that.
1: Yeah, it was a little. To
0: me, it was like way out of their normal formula um, of songwriting. I saw that one of James's inspirations. I've actually never read this before. I read this today. Is that um, he was inspired by Chris Isaac Wicked Game in terms of singing, and he actually went to Bob Rock and said, "How do I sing like this?" And specifically for Nothing Else Matters and The Unforgiven, and Bob Rock told him, "Like, well, here's the deal." Chris Isaac, the reason that's so evocative is because he's performing. He's not just singing. Yeah. The nuances of his voice are what you love about it. So mm-hmm. we're not going to double track. Um, the That's more for nothing else matters, but yeah. like you're going to have to just sing it and we're going to have to hear the phrasing. and. I mean, this th- This was one of the first times we hear Hetfield
1: uh, singing a lot softer. Like, of course, there's Fade to Black. Fade to Black, right. Sanitarium. Yeah. Um, one, but I think it's one of James's best lyrics too. I think so. One, of, I think one of his best lyrics, one of his best vocal performances. Um, he, I, I think, with his his voice on the song, I think he does a great job of matching the intensity of parts of the song. Yeah, I do too. He does like when his voice gets softer on the chorus, like it's it's
0: so perfect for that part. Um, I will say, I, when they do it live, I don't know what's up with those dudes. They just they have just never known what a pedal board is, but. So they have someone just clicking from clean to dirt for them, uh, yeah. And I, it always, to me, always sounds like shit. Yeah, it's a little uh, like a, har- a harsh uh, switch between different, for, different sounds and stuff. Yeah, like when James, I, you know what I love? I love when James has when they actually because some tours they do this, some tours they don't. Where he actually has the acoustic setup on the stand, yeah. and yeah. he's gotten really good at that transition. But when Kirk goes from like the big solo back into the clean, yeah. Now, 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 now. It's just like you can just hear that someone's just like clicking a pedal off backstage. Yeah, it's a bit of a bummer. I wish he like had some like ambient pe- volume pedal. He could. You don't you I know how what this is like. like. Yeah. If I was trying to play Unforgiven live, I got a gig playing with a band that had a song like that. I would find like ambient transitions.
1: Yeah, it's it's something to to make that transition from a big heavy distorted part into a clean part and instead of just going clink. Yeah, it's it's like just like, like it's a drop off
0: a cliff, and they've just sudden, somehow you know. never cracked the code on that. Yeah. I don't know. I don't mean to be, to uh, be negative, Nancy, over here about that.
1: One uh, <laughs> yeah, of Kirk
0: fine. Hammett's best solos of all fucking time.
1: Agreed, one hundred percent. And I think we have Bob Rock to thank for that. Because he for had pu- to, pushing him. Yeah, he
0: really had to dig it out of Kirk.
1: He did. And you know, and you and I know this from experience in in, in recording studios that sometimes you got to hack it out for a while Maybe. to get that thing out of you that that ends up becoming like a really good moment as a
0: musician. And it takes both. It takes both. Like. Yeah, Bob Rock was pushing him, but Kirk was taking it and yeah. and being malleable to it. I've seen, uh, dude, I've seen people in those situations who just can't handle that kind oh, of heat. Oh, they just buckle, yeah. They, and you got to really be able to sit in there and take it.
1: Yep. Oh, yeah, it sucks. I mean, as a musician, I mean, I, I've... I've been there.
0: I've, yeah, I've done it, too. I've been there
1: many times where I'm getting just beat up, you yeah, know? Yeah, And you, for the, the majority of it, you're like, God, I suck. Why am I doing this? I should just walk away. You know, and it's like anything. It's like, you know, it's like the Rocky story, You just know, so, you know? You make it through Do our do a, our
0: listeners know how much you love Rocky? <clears throat> You're a big Rocky guy. They will when I start my Rocky podcast. Oh boy. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm not going to. <laughs> if you start a Rocky podcast, I'm gonna be like James, like when Jason got thrown out or quit because I'm be like, <laughs> It'll be my echo brain. You, like, yeah, you can't you can't take anything away from the family. You can't do that, man. Um okay. Another one one last thing though, okay. I I do think this is an important aspect of the black album is back to the ad libs that Bob Rock had James do. The ad libs at the end of Unforgiven, the um uh you labeled me i'll label you so i dub the unforgiven such a good growl on that one that that you label me i'll label you i just with a little ah at the end you you just know that like bob was like just go for it just echo the lyric Mm -hmm. just get it out you know yeah um anyway i like that
1: wherever i may roam
0: how about that fucking epic intro Oh my gosh! A little
1: sitar in there.
0: Gow, gow, gow. It's
1: it's it's. Uh, I've recently uh, kind of relearned the riffs in that song, mm-hmm. and it's so fun to
0: play on guitar. Um, that trill. Yeah, um, that's I, the first time I learned what a trill was. Yeah, I remember looking in the tab book and it said it just did a normal like hammer on pull off, but it said with trill. You're like, what is that? And I had to go to the. I, do you remember in, the, in guitar magazines or tab books? And like in the very back right? was a. Like a notation guide. Oh, yeah, they like, yeah. explained, like, Here's hammer on, pull off. Yeah, is like a for sure. Um, this is pre-internet for you yes, fuckers out there listening.
1: Yeah. All you learning guitar on YouTube, which I'm fine with that. Please learn well, guitar. Well, I still
0: do it. Be, be, I, I do some When testing. I went back and learned Blacken a few weeks ago, I watched, like, six YouTube tutorials. You really? <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> I never forgot how to play it. Oh, boy. Um, uh, Massive snare sound, super evil. Those verses are, like, evil sounding. Yeah, it's, the earth or, uh, becomes my bride. Oh. You know, like, and it's a song about
1: touring. Yeah, it's cool, which is great. I mean, it, it, like, there's. I feel like as a songwriter, there's certain things that if someone said, "Man, write a song about being on the road," you're kind of like, uh, "That's I don't know, it might be a little cheesy." But here comes Hatfield writing "Wherever I May Roam," which, if you didn't know, it was about that. I, I, I mean, I don't know what you'd think it would be about. Um, maybe some fictitious about a nomad, story. Yeah. a rover, a wanderer. Yeah
0: call him what you will it's
1: vagabond <laughs> <Yeah>. um, <laughs> um, um
0: another great kirk hammett solo yep and the outro too he kind of like is wailing on the outro oh, all yeah. tasty shit too it, he does
1: a great job on the song man I, he it's another very thoughtful solo on the song
0: fuck it's so good I, you know what? I wish they hadn't done the fade out, though. Like, this is a song that at deserved end. an ending to yeah, me. Yeah, yeah. They're great at writing, like, epic endings a la Disposable Heroes. And, yeah. I think they could have written an ending to this song. Yeah. Because um, I mean, Unforgiven fades out. Inner Sandman fades out. Yeah, like, you're right. Come on, dudes. End the fucking song.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, a great a great song. I mean, the, vi- the video I remember was just basically, like, you know, live footage and stuff like that. And, um,. Fitting for the song, of course, but uh which,
0: by the way, I had to like find things to slag on on this record because I didn't want it to just be a whole hour of me just kissing ass on this record. I I really was trying to be critical, you know.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's tough. I mean, you you mentioned you have a you have a solo you dislike coming up, which I am still curious about. But it's one of those records that's like you know when we talk when I talked about my favorite record, Master Puppets. It's a tough record to say anything bad about. Especially when you've listened to it for so long.
0: It's not my favorite, but it is fucking nearly flawless. Yeah, I mean, This I record agree. is just fucking amazing to, yeah, to me. Is. But Metallica is one of my favorite bands. Yeah, totally. Same so, here. All right. Uh, don't Tread on uh, Me. Eh, harmless is good. I, I love the chorus. I'm
1: pretty sure this is, because uh, Jason does have backing vocal credits on this record. I'm pretty sure this is like, you can hear him in the, don't tread on me. I feel like I can hear Jason. Oh, in yeah, a, yeah Like sure. when you watch live footage of him doing that, it's that Jason, you know, mean sounding backup vocal.
0: Um It's a great chorus too. So be it. Settle yeah. the score. Totally. And I love that. You know, kind to, of a poppy chorus. Yeah. Um Was it this or was it Escape or was it Chapter, <laughs> <under> <laughs> ice chapter I under They ice. were worried about was too poppy. I think this is a pretty, a pretty
1: poppy, catchy chorus, and I, I dig it. I, I, I do really like Kirk's solo on this song. I do too. I mean, it's, it's, he's, he, this is the record. I think he really, you know, finally got that wah pedal attached to his foot. Um, cause there's a lot of wah on this, on this, uh, on this record. And this solo specifically, he does some cool wah pedal with like whammy bar stuff that makes it sound just dirty and nasty at the very
0: top of the solo. I didn't have a lot to say about it. I just, I like it. I don't skip it. Is this the one? This is the solo? No, 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 we are not there yet. Okay.
1: If you say nothing else matters, I'm going to punch you in the fucking nose. Well, you know me well enough to know I'm yeah. not going to say that. That's, that's a one be- of my beautiful, favorite songs, and it's too. James Hetfield. Yeah. I'm sorry I said that. Please forgive me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I like Don't Try... I mean, Don't Try to Me... I do love that chorus. Yeah. Uh, you know, I don't skip it. This is not a skip song. I don't skip any song on this record, honestly.
1: Yeah. Man, this song, I'll say it. It swings. Yeah. It, it, it has a good pocket. Like, Lars, hats oh, off to you, cool. man. You did a cool kind of thing, and... This is one of, like I mentioned earlier in this episode, this is one of those songs where when I heard the rumor, and this is such a far-fetched rumor, I think, I've tried to look it up online. That I've, he didn't play on it? Yeah. There's just
0: so much video Flitch. evidence of him <laughs> playing on it, like and a, it sounds like Lars. It
1: does, yeah. I've heard it I've heard it for, uh, over the years, and I'm talking over the last maybe 15 years, you know, different drummer friends were like, you know he didn't play on it, right? It was Greg Bissonette
0: or whoever. Bullshit. I. It was a fun thing to speculate about. Like, what if, you know? I'll say this, man. I'm a huge Kiss fan, as you know. Yeah. And Peter Chris definitely had some ghost drummers on Unmasked. Anton Figg played the drums. Really? Like a real drummer. Okay. And even people who don't play instruments could hear that that wasn't Peter Chris. Yeah. That's the thing, if because if, Peter Chris is real similar to Lars in that technically not impressive, yeah. but it was definitely the swingy sound of Kiss. Yeah, I mean wrote cool parts and stuff, it, and out, out of limitation, right? You know, um, if if
1: far fetched, but if somebody else played on it, they did their Lars homework and mimicked him like a motherfucker. Which
0: here's the deal. If you're going to do all that to sound so much it. like him, then why not just have the fucking guy do it, Yeah, right? And if you spent 10 months recording a record and cutting and splicing tape all day long. Well, you've seen in the making of when they, they have like a whole separate little room yeah. where it's like Lars and an engineer literally splicing tape. I mean,
1: that's the thing, too. For those of you that are, are at all recording savvy, I mean, we all have Pro Tools and Logic now and stuff, and it's easy to manipulate drums and make them sound flawless. But back then, you're recording a two-inch tape. You if actually you, had to
0: cut tape. And cut tape with a razor blade, yeah. And splicing and like putting it together. Yep. I mean, that was an art form. It definitely
1: was. You had, um, you
0: had guys in studios that that was their only job because they went to school for and specialized in it.
1: Yeah, you specialize in cutting tape. Cause Cause and if you've ever seen it out there, it's really impressive to watch someone do it.
0: Yeah, it really is.
1: Um, yeah, I've I've been fortunate enough to record uh, a couple records to tape, um, mostly late '90s, early 2000s, and it's it's quite the experience. Yeah, will also make you a better musician, by the way.
0: I did a record in town with Vance Powell, who does all Jack White stuff. Yeah, and he's kind of known around town as a kind of a tape guy. And I watched, and he actually cuts his own tape. That's so cool. And I watched him do it, and I watched him take a guitar pass of mine, cut up the tape, run it through a a tape delay. Wow. And like, fuck it up. And when you're doing that, you're committing to it because you're printing it. You're very committing to it. You're like ruining the take if you, what the result you get, you don't like. Yeah, totally. And it was masterful. It was artful.
1: Yeah, it definitely is.
0: Okay. Through the Never, this was on my top 10, I believe. It's probably my favorite song on the Black Album.
1: I would I would uh, we talked about Struggle Within and Holier Than Thou being kind of old school Metallica. This, to me this opening riff is is very puppets
0: esque. Yeah, it feels like puppets yeah. for sure. But that da 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 which is it that is that not the riff from Atlas Rise? Did they not rip that from Through the Never?
1: Oh I think you're correct. Wow. They
0: totally like were I, that's we yeah, talked about this. they took the advice of rick rubin like don't be afraid to right well moth in the flame they were looking at disposable heroes yeah dream no more they talk about call they talk about cthulhu and my savage is basically a wolf of man part two yeah and that atlas riff is fucking through the never dude wow i never thought about that good point um i love the chorus I, what a creepy lyric yeah um another yet another great kirk hammett solo oh yeah and how about that bridge? On through, through the, the never. We must go. Yeah. Oh, I mean to it's... me it's through the never is just quick. Do you think they do mentality. you think they
1: wrote that part uh with the crowd in mind? Yeah, probably. Thinking like we talked about that before. Yeah. Um like, oh man. That song cr- I don't think that song ever really took off live,
0: but I, maybe they thought it would I would love to see them incorporate that into a current set me too the, the last I know of them doing it was they did it for the 30th anniversary show which we're doing an upcoming episode is going to be on that 30th anniversary show
1: which if you uh, want to get involved in that one get on YouTube and search that shit because those shows were so cool as far as I've been able to, the,
0: show three and show four and in their entirety are on YouTube. I'm yeah. having a lot of trouble finding a full version of shows one and two. Yeah.
1: There's a lot of highlights that you can find. You can, I mean, all the guests they had out, it's, oh, it was amazing. But we'll get into that another time. Anything else to say about Through the Never? It's fucking
0: great. It's great. There's nothing I, wrong with Through the Never.
1: No, nothing wrong at all.
0: Other than maybe the, the movie. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I, I had fun with the movie. Well, we're going to rewatch it and do an
1: episode on that. So, all right, maybe my thoughts will change. My initial reaction was like, "Yeah, cool," but maybe. Um- oh, I
0: mean, let's get this straight. It sucks. It's not a good <laughs> film, but my standards for a Metallica movie are different than my standards for the Oscars. You know what I mean? Yeah, <laughs> true, it's true. True. That's a not, good point. Yeah, it's not fucking on the waterfront, but right. It's a Metallica. It's a fucking Metallica movie. It's awesome. Yeah, of course you are gonna watch it. Um. Okay. Nothing else matters. Nothing else matters. This is a big song. First, full.
1: I I would say full ballad song. Normally, like the ballad formula. Well, is... Well, the solo gets kind of heavy. It gets heavy, but it never ramps up like Sanitarium does, like Fade to Black does, sure, like One does. It's just
0: it is a ballad. It's, it's a
1: ballad it, it, from start to finish. It sort
0: of accepts that it's a ballad.
1: Yeah, and I I I love that it was a single and it's super long and the video was just them in the studio, which I loved because it was it was before I saw. Like when this, the Nuthless Matters video came out on MTV, it was before I saw A Year and a Half in Life of Metallica, or maybe even before that came out. And I thought it was so cool to see the studio footage of them recording that mm, song. Yeah. that's the whole video. Right. Um, and that's when I first found out James played the
0: solo. In the video, I'm like, right.
1: wait, Kirk's not playing that?
0: And then now with kind of hindsight, you can kind of hear that it's a different flavor. Definitely different flavor, um, yeah. Um, I love... This is...
1: Uh, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, this and unforgiven are probably my two favorite solos in the record which is weird cuz they're both the kind of ballad songs sure but i just i just love i love well, these solos well in a
0: ballad in a slower song you have to be a lot more melodically intentional yeah so the solo's going to stick more it's not just fast Absolutely. metal shit it's like thoughtful lyrical movement
1: i wonder if originally kirk was like hey i got this tapping thing i'm going to do and james was like excuse me step excuse aside me, i me, got kirk. some shit I'm about to lay down take i re-
0: i read that um that Kirk, wanted, Kirk does a harmonic in it just because he wanted to be able to play one note on the actual recording. That otherwise he didn't even play on any of the recording. Oh, I guess I guess that makes yeah it makes sense. I mean, but he wanted because he they kind of knew it was a special song, so he wanted to have at least one little one, one harmonic. On Please, James. <laughs> uh, I think it's one of the most beautiful pieces of music James has ever written. I agree. I From, totally not agree. not just the melody and the lyric, but this man that guitar shit is just gorgeous. I uh, I remember learning that song when,
1: uh, shortly after the record came out. Um, I was only a couple years into playing guitar at that point. And it was a bit challenging. You know, some stretching, you know, in your left hand involved. Um,
0: well, I still can't play it well. And I'm a professional, and I do this for a goddamn living. Yeah. And yeah. I still have to just sit there and figure out how to get inside his head how he oh, did it's that.
1: such it's such a fun song to learn on guitar. If you're a guitar player out there and you don't know the song guitar, you should learn it. It seems like you know. It starts off with just you know standard tuning, and you're not even touching your left hand on the fretboard and just hitting those open strings, you know, E G B E, back and forth. And then once the high notes start coming in, da, 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 and, and he
0: do- plays it so effortlessly. Yeah, like even on S and M when he when they perform that one on S M, he kind of sits up in the orchestra with the strings, and he's kind of like on a st- half on a stool. Yeah, like uh, casual. I, I will
1: say that uh, in the last I don't know five to 10 years. Kirk does the intro. Yeah. And I don't like it. it he, yeah. The, James has something he does. It's, that it has a feel and it's, it's in his hands. hes yeah. I mean, Kirk is still playing. It's it. all Cr- within his hands. It's if all I this. may reference <laughs> the record that shall not be named. <clears throat> True. Um, but yeah, uh, I mean, I don't think you could say anything bad about this song. If, if you're not a fan of this song, it's probably cause you only like the thrashy fast stuff. I agree. But I think this is a g- really good example of how far a Galley James Hetfield has come as a songwriter and writing something so beautiful and putting it on a freaking heavy metal record.
0: And here's the deal, man, and I don't mean to start shit or talk shit necessarily, but, and I love Jeff Hanneman and Kerry King, but you show me anything like that that those dudes have composed. Yeah. You know, I don't know if Megadeth has anything that stellar in the ballad department. I don't think so. But this is one of the things that sets Metallica apart to me. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's why they're the biggest of the big
1: four. I mean, they
0: wrote songs. Did I tell you about that quote I read in Mick Wall's book of Dave Ellison saying, he was like, dude, it's not the big four. It's the big one. He was like, there's Metallica. And then way, way, way down is Megadeth. I mean, I agree. I love Megadeth
1: and Slayer and Anthrax. You know, I this, just like it. But... Like, hey,
0: man, that's not me. That, that's Dave Ellison saying that. Exactly. <laughs> that's Thank the dude Dave. from Megadeth. Okay? Yeah.
1: But it's true. I mean,
0: I think I think it is true. We can get you know, we should do a big four episode. We will. Yeah, cuz we both I, love those bands. Of course, yeah. You, I, you're more of an Anthrax, Megadeth guy, I'm more of a Slayer guy, yeah. I think, but Yeah, we should do that. So yeah, nothing else matters. I mean,
1: nothing else more to say. I mean, it's a f- amazingly
0: beautiful song. Sorry for the bad joke. Um yeah. Okay, of Wolf and Man. I think of Wolf and Man is super rad. I love the lyric. Yeah. I love the um, the creepy imagery of a werewolf and yep. the shape shifting and. Yep. I love the "off to the day, new days mist, How he kind of barks it out. Yeah. I never knew that what he was saying. You know, like I had to look it up, and then I was mm-hmm. like, "Oh, that's like actually like poetic." Like, yeah. Uh, w- uh, one of my favorite riffs on the record, the intro riff yeah i love that i love it too and i love jason's bgvs on it yeah oh yeah he does a great job i um i really like in hindsight that they chose this for snm it's kind of an odd choice right for snm it's kind of a deep cut black album i think so yeah i mean like yeah, we I could mean... have heard fade to black or creeping there's like other songs i might have picked but i'm in retrospect i'm glad that they chose that one what an odd choice and i love on snm that jason howls yeah the, any wolves out there <laughs> any wolves out there um not a great kirk solo is this it is this, this is, is it yes. i think this solo is really at best it's average okay i i and i when i was listening last night i kind of agree with you yeah when i was listening last night was the cans on was the cans on in the shed <laughs> I went back and I was burn it down the first time and I was like I think this solo sucks. Then I listened to it again and I was like confirmed. Confirmed on a okay. record of great solos, like m- solos that speak to me and that are memorable. Yeah. This is not one of them to me. <laughs> Fair enough to me. Fair enough. I will I will say and this is not necessarily a rebuttal,
1: but um, you can rebut. I don't really are you want gonna, to. Are you I rebut? I'm just I'm just giving you my point of view. I think. I can say yes, it's it's my least favorite solo on the record. But you still like it. I still like yeah, it. Yeah. And if this That's is fair. If, and if this is
0: Kirk's worst work on this record, he's still sitting in a great spot. It's still better than almost anything off Hardwired. Agreed. Not everything but almost. Yeah. That's a good point, dude. That's um, a good point, bro. Thanks man, totally. Uh the guy that failed. I love the bass drum intro. Yes. Sort of foreshadowing to me again, just harping on fucking load, reload because that's my shit. <laughs> kind of um, foreshadowing, Devil's Dance. Go 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 I
1: love that they they really, and this is probably you know attributed to Bob Rock. They really let Jason shine on this record. I think that's definitely Bob. Oh, totally. They talk about the documentary, like you know when when. He's I can't remember what what part it is, we'll have to re, when we rewatch it I can bring it up again. But um he's really like pushing Jason to like get, get this like eighth note thing down and yeah. like be that presence in the song and have that that thunderous sound, you know. And um and I love that not only on this song and my friend of misery, but like if you go back and listen to even Enter Sandman, he's not just playing da da da, 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 no. da. He, he's doing da da da, da, yeah. da Just he's doing eighth notes like almost like Ramon style and it's and it
0: works so well. Like it's its own voice. And, it, and it, especially after justice, like it's such a breath of fresh air yeah. to hear that low end. This was justice for Jason. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry.
1: I am full of it
0: tonight. <laughs> you were just sparky tonight.
1: <laughs> um, but yeah, the God had failed
0: uh, sparky.
1: <laughs> what is this? What is this sparky? Who is he? Oh boy. Sparky Griswold. <laughs> um, it's <laughs> the first thing I think I want to think of Sparky is Chevy well, Chase sparky. Vacation. Yeah, Christmas
0: vacation um um uh song about James's mother yeah uh, it's about the Christian science sort of like you know she got sick and then sort of refused treatment and medicine hey he, uh, he just talked about that in the Mark Maron podcast dude the lyric the healing hand held back by the deep and nail damn it mother that's
1: so good God it's so good. Damn, that's
0: good. I think I think lyrically, this this
1: might be a a, a highlight for me in uh, James' world.
0: Oh, and, he, and not just on the Black album, but in general.
1: In general, I mean, I that line so. you
0: just I mean, it's and and and
1: I mean, it it makes sense to me because I mean, this is probably I'd imagine if I could talk to James,
0: probably one of the top personal songs he's written. Oh, big time. He's talking about his mother. He says, "I see faith in your eyes." Yeah, man. It's a brutal, brutal song.
1: Yeah. Hats off to James on this song. He he is the star of this song, I think.
0: I, I saw um <clears throat> the most recent because I've been watching the thirtieth anniversary shows for our upcoming yeah. episode and they played that song and it, I kn- just kinda knowing what the song's about and knowing kind of where James is at spiritually and personally. Yeah. It would it seems like a song that he might retire, but he performed it and sang it and like meant it when he sang it. Yeah. And like I don't know, he surprises me, you know, like well, I mean, I think a lot of people
1: uh, who are in, in, in bands, big or small, if they go through a huge life change well after they've done a bunch of albums and maybe what they wrote in their early their early years, they don't believe anymore, they don't feel anymore. I, th- I think it's still fine to play those songs. I,
0: I, t- I totally agree, too. I have no like ethical issue with that. Yeah. It just seems like if, if he did want to retire it for personal reasons, I would get that.
1: Oh, a song like this, for sure.
0: You know, like, yeah. it, I would be like, I get why he, James, the kind of reimagined James doesn't want to sing The God That Failed. Right. But I think it's cool that he has found a way to separate it maybe or honor what it was. Sure.
1: And I think in this song specifically, he's probably, you know, referring to a different God than maybe he might believe in. Sure. You know? So I think maybe there's comfort in singing it still. Like, okay, well, I'm I'm singing about something that I never believed in or my parents only believed in, you know? Yeah, a very—I mean—a very well thought-out song. I, like I said, man, hats off to him. This is this is one of my favorites on this record, and I think he did an amazing job with these with the lyrics and the and the vocal performance, of course. I also
0: wrote a, once again, really cool solo.
1: <laughs> once again, in all caps, or no?
0: No, I, the next one I wrote in caps. Though, did you really? Like some of these have Good, caps because you. we're about Thru, to through the never cap great solo in all caps. Uh, Sabbath True, all caps, great solo. Nice. Like, I've done that in several of Good, movies. Good, good. Uh, well,
1: you said all caps on this next one, and this is, you know, this was in my, this was in my, one of my top 10 lists. Yeah, it was. My Friend of Misery, I think this is, this might be my favorite song on this. Well, no, I think I said Unforgiven.
0: Yeah, it's hard, dude. It's a tough,
1: but it, this one is up there for me. This is, I've mentioned before, this is uh, the song that made me just, you know, ask my dad, hey, what's that? How do I play that part on guitar? He's like, oh, that's a bee, that's a B
0: bender.
1: Oh, it's so good. I mean, the bass intro is is beautiful, and it was originally written as an instrumental, You're right? So I think you know, Jason wrote it. I assume, I can only assume, they were probably going down that road of like, hey, this could be a well because cool this is their
0: first record without an instrumental. Yep. So this was going to be the token fifth album. Yep. Um, God, that chorus is so good, dude. I don't love the I don't love the lyric. Like I wrote, like the empty can rattles the most. One man's fun is another man's hell. Like some of the lyrics, a little hokey. I, yeah,
1: a little bit. I think someone like Hetfield with the performance kind of helps that. You know, the, like the performance kind of forgives some of the sin of the bad lyrics. I think, and I think that's the case with a lot of artists. Like you, you if you actually just read the lyrics out loud, you are like, oh, that's not that great. But then when you hear the the guy, girl, whoever singing it, you're like, okay, that sounds a lot cooler. But, I mean, my, I mean, my favorite moments in the song are easily the the solo, like go, going from the the telly B bender part. Another great all caps solo. All cap solo. I, that's my note.
0: That good like, real like compressed harmony solo is so cool. Amazing. Like I, I was thinking about that today. Like just him, Kirk sitting there writing that yeah such love going into that writing i also kind of like the swelly solo like oh yeah oh, kind of before the b bender thing yep
1: uh oh no that part uh, that part's great it's it's uh almost suspenseful sounding like yeah. it's a good lead into the next part
0: and that's i mean outlaw Torn is just gonna haunt us forever but that, james also <laughs> does the same thing on the outlaw Torn solo yeah. he does kind of this volume swell yeah
1: yeah man this this and this is uh this is the only uh newstead writing credit on the record obviously because of the bass intro
0: oh I thought did he get writing credit on this yeah I know he got writing credit on black end and where the wild things are I thought only I thought he only had two so this is a third yeah he's
1: yeah he he wrote it's I mean you can find it anywhere he he he
0: wrote that intro and it's a beautiful piece oh yeah oh yeah I, I know, it's a fun piece to play it's a it's and here's the thing man like unlike man unkind the intro instrumental ties into the song it fits the song yeah whereas man, robert's man unkind piece is like its own thing yeah it's almost like a little interlude like it might be an, it's like an interlude right yeah. whereas you know the the my friend of misery jason's thing is kind of sets the tone yeah the melodic tone for the whole song oh yeah
1: yeah th- yeah this, this is this this song to me is a no brainer i mean i love this song i do too um,
0: I, I think i said on our top 10 episode that if, if it had been on a lesser record it would have been one of the Key, you know, A-side type yeah. songs.
1: This is another one I, I I would love to see. Like if they play Nashville, I would would love if they played this song. It'd be so chances awesome. of that are so low, but I but I agree. Maybe they need to hire an auxiliary musician. Hey, play those
0: extra parts. Yeah, the B-bender. Just show up with the, just a B-bender. If I just, just walk in the B-bender door, door Bridgestone Arena, <laughs> With
1: a bender Like, uh this is in case they play uh, you know the song. I'm just I'm ready. In case they play my my friend of misery for the first time in like seven years. Yeah. <laughs> I'll have my uh, live shit binge and purge uh, snake pit pass on <laughs> with a B bender. Hey guys, uh, and then I get in, and then James is like, "You know hey, who could
0: really help you get in on that is Torben Ulrich."
1: I think you're right. I <laughs> I, I love the B bender. <laughs> I feel like I'm over Torbening right now. I don't I, think I don't, you I don't, are. want to use I want to use him sparingly. All right, all right. Final track, which I feel is. Like we've said a couple times already, with uh, Holier Than Thou is the most old Metallica on this record. Yeah, I think so too. Especially the bridge uh, gets into like what could be on you know previous records, like a Justice,
0: Justice moment. or Puppets. Yeah, like, yeah. Um, I like the kind of like uh, marching drum intro, and I love that. I mean, like we we you know we use that at the top of this
1: episode to kind of intro it and. It's a, I think I have described it before. It's like, you know, if you went to go see a movie and you had this awesome scene of whatever kind of movie it was and that came on, it's yeah. exciting sounding, especially for a final song on the record. I mean, that sounds like it could be a f- opening track yeah. to me. Right. You know, it's, a, it has that exciting marching drum thing mm-hmm. um, and then kind of breaks from there and just holds out that one note. And then, you know, you got that good, you know. Uh, oh sorry, I just I just sang through the never, my bad. Um all my riffs are mixing up in my head. But um Oh boy, get ready for all the mail for that. Here it comes, dude that wasn't through the never, man.
0: <laughs> in Ugh. some ways our listeners will just never forgive you for the outlaw torrent statement. It's and yet fine. somehow my calling the Unforgiven three the instrumental track of Death Magnetic just skirted by.
1: I know. There's been no that. What the hell, that. listeners? Like <laughs> Clint just slip on
0: by with that one. Jeez. Uh, no. Here's what I You know what I have like So out of all my caps And great solos okay. What I have to struggle with in Lower caps Great solo <laughs> lower, lower caps Lower case So it's great But it's not great I'm just telling you man This record Just Kirk's Kirk's presence On this record Just fucking yeah. blows my mind and I mean,
1: I, Yeah I mean People people will always You know Point out certain songs
0: Master of Puppets You know whatever. Master of Puppets Is a big highlight Creeping death of course. Big highlight solos an overall, Fade to black. Overall
1: album his work on this record, I think, I think it's might his be best his best I yeah. think so too. Yeah,
0: I think this thing "pound for pound," which is a phrase I think I use too much on the podcast, but it's totally, some shit totally, I, to, yeah, I totally say "pound <laughs> for pound" too, too, totally much. Outlaw Torn, <laughs> please, please leave me alone. I'm hurting right now. Torben's like, leave, 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 leave even alone. I, I think you should stop I mentioning think you should stop the Outlaw teasing Torn. Him. He is sensitive. <laughs> um, so. I mean, shit, we just talked this whole record down. This is one of our longer episodes, but it deserves it, man. This is the Black think it, Album, I think, dude. I think it
1: deserves it. I mean, it, it's their best line record. It's it's their biggest record you're, overall. It's you're, you know... you're
0: going to hear, if you haven't already heard in our previous episodes, but I think you're going to continue to hear that the, the Black Album is an anchor point.
1: It is. When we talk yeah.
0: about the thing that should not be, that's a song that could have been on the Black Album. From yep. Who The Bell Toll, that song could have been on the Black Album. Um, what, Dream No More, that could have been on the Black Album. It's sort of the central record that we all go to. Um, because it's special, it's important. It's sort of Metallica bringing the gospel of themselves to the world. It's how they reached the world. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, I mean,
1: I mean, I think this is a, a good point as any to kind of wrap this up because we're at about an hour and twenty minutes.
0: We got some fan questions. We right? do have some
1: fan questions. Should, should we address? We address one of these, or
0: yeah, let's read a few of these.
1: Yeah. yeah. Okay. So. Um, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing uh, the last name correctly, but I do love the last name because I'm from L.A. Uh-huh. Uh, Lori Laker. Okay. So I love the Lakers and the Dodgers. Um, uh, Lori wrote in and said, uh, uh, excited for this episode, love the Hardwired or Self-Destruct one. Um, glad people love Revenge and Halo as much as I do. There's a reason Halo made my top 10 list. Cool. So that's awesome. Halo is one of my favorite songs as well. Yeah, um, me too. So the question is, uh, uh, why do you think the album was so divisive at the time, and what caused that to change over time? I know the change in songwriting sound was drastic, a drastic departure from the first four records, but over time, the Black Album seems to have aged really, really well, particularly deep, particularly deep cuts like Struggle or Misery. Just curious what your thoughts on this, hmm. and uh, yeah, I don't know. To um, me,
0: it's simple, it is that the the Black Album is the first non-Thrash record. Yeah. So you just got Thrash City all through the 80s and then you get groove rock and, I mean, I, and, and I they were kind of
1: one of the first bands of, of even the big Ford i mean slayers never really slowed down but like anthrax and megadeth did their version of the black sure. album i mean absolutely maybe not uh they all came around out around the same uh time time frame within a few years but you know countdown to extinction was megadeth's black album i always say that at least And, you know, Anthrax had Persistence of Time, which was their non-thrashy record. Right. You know, so a lot of bands were doing that. Metallica got shit for it, but it also exploded them, you know, well past what they probably ever expected.
0: And that that actually brings up another point. Like, one of the reasons I think it was so contentious is because it was, oh, the forbidden mainstream. Yeah. Which, this idea of selling out mainstream, it's kind of like, in my personal opinion, kind of kid shit. Yeah, that that uh, that makes no sense to me. It's not relevant to me. I want my favorite band to reach as many people as possible. If they can do it without compromising, which I think they did do it without compromising. Oh, agreed, With yeah. fucking killer songs yep. that still sound like them, but they're evolving, then that's the ideal situation. Yeah, for sure. So why the Deber cuts have stood out well, I think, is probably because they were true to themselves, and the honesty of it permeates time. Yeah. And so... It doesn't sound like they were trying to do anything other than be themselves, and that time is gracious to that. Yeah, know, I I, yeah, I agree. Yeah, Lori. Good question, though. Yeah, great question. No, no, I I, uh... I, I, I wasn't like online then, and I don't mean on the internet. I mean, like, I wasn't like online as a fan when that record dropped, so it's hard for me to have any kind of pulse on what people who'd been on the journey since '82 were so, feeling. Yeah, see, I, I, I bought the Black Album when it came out. But and you were a Justice cat, so. yeah. Well, so at the
1: time, um, the Black album. Let's see, I got into them on Justice, but never really owned anything until the Black album because I was pretty young and I you know didn't like go to the record store often and stuff. But the Black album was, I think, the first Metallica release I bought. The first Metallica CD was Puppets, but um, I remember buying the cassette and like just being blown away. But I wasn't like surprised. I mean, I was surprised that it was such a great record but nothing bummed me out about it because i I hadn't been a metallica fan that long Hmm. it was like maybe two years prior i was like just getting into i saw the one video and whatever but um uh so i didn't have this longevity of of history with the band you know of, of time spent with these records to really like go what the heck is this or you know i was just blown away by it Regardless, I just loved it right off the bat. I listened to it like crazy. Yeah, you know, anytime I came on the radio, if I can turn it up, like you know, yeah, loved it from day one till present day. Right. You got something?
0: Yeah, I, I got a few responses on the forum. Uh, Melody N J, who's um, one of my buds on there, we we converse a little bit back and forth. She's very nice. supportive of uh, the podcast. By oh, the cool. way, hey, thank you. She always has a lot of nice things to say. I think that's sweet. She has an interesting perspective. She says, so I basically said, hey, we're going to be doing our uh, Black Album podcast. If anyone has any specific questions or they want us to address, let us know. She writes, I can't think of a single question to ask about this album. I really (laughs) like the album, but I would rank it my seventh favorite out of the ten. Seventh? Seventh. She's pretty old school. Like, we're going to read her top ten on the next episode, and it's mostly old school shit. Okay. Uh, I can admit when I first heard it, I was disappointed, but after the shock wore off... so." This is actually a good perspective on that. So I guess it was shocking. Yeah. Um, after the shock off, I realized it was a solid album. Maybe I would want to know why Inner Sandman is such a beloved song. Even before it became the new Freebird, quote unquote, or Stairway, quote unquote, it was never a favorite of mine. Now it's overplayed by every rock station on the radio or TV music documentaries. It's catchy, but there are so many other songs from Metallica that should be on the top 20 rock metal lists of all time that aren't. I agree with that. Sure. Why was it so special? I think because... Especially from a composing standpoint, mm-hmm. it just hits every It hits every button.
1: Well, yeah, and, the, and that that main riff that Kirk wrote, I mean, it's it's so memorable. It's it, the
0: riff, the way the drums support that riff. Yeah, the subject matter, the um, the phrasing of the lyrics, the melody,
1: even just even just the hook of "We're Off to Never Neverland." Like, and there's it, it, there's a break in the music, right. and that's all you hear. That's a very catchy thing. Sticks in your head, and the time and place and MTV just, yep. It was like a perfect storm. Dude. It really was. Yeah. It really was. I think that's, I mean, that all that stuff attributes to the longevity of that song. Do I agree it's overplayed? Sure. And do
0: I agree that they're, it's not even in the top 20? I think so.
1: Sure. But I also think that without that song, the Black Album would not be what it is today. Yeah, it, I agree. I think they would have been at like 13 million, um, not 16.
0: A, a user named Outlaw Chris, who's another person that I... Oh, really, Outlaw Chris. Okay. I, I appreciate it. I wonder it. what you're going to bring up. No, no. Okay. Um, He says... Just teasing. His question is, and I don't know if either of us have the answer, who came up with the intro note, the horn note slash snare roll for Unforgiven, and how did that come about?
1: Oh, man. I don't know if I I know that. My
0: guess, uh, and let me just start by saying I don't know, but my guess would be that that was Bob Rock. Yeah, I I was going to say the same thing. I'll bet they... they... I even wondered if that was a sample, the kind of marchy drum thing, because I can't imagine Lars doing it, honestly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they might they might have sampled that.
1: They may have may have sampled that, yeah. Um well and uh that being a horn, you would think like maybe Michael Kamen had something to do with that, but he has no credit on that.
0: I think I think that horn maybe comes from a film. I think that was like a, a cinematic decision. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. Bob Rock, if you're listening, please, you know, Bob, give me a call. I
1: wonder if that's you know. I'd have to rewatch it. It's been a while, but they did a classic albums episode on the Black Album. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's in there though. I referenced talk about it in that. this very podcast. Yeah, that's true. You did. Um,
0: that's a good question. though. Um, yeah, very good question. Because it is a it is a, um, a a very memorable, in my opinion, memorable part of the record. Yeah, and they used. I love that they reused that horn sound on Unforgiven too. Yeah, they did.
1: But I remember right. There's not like that hard snare at the end of it, right? No, unforgiven too. Okay,
0: it just goes right into the go 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 yeah. Um,
1: I got another email um from a, a gentleman named Cole Cole Roberts. It's a pretty lengthy email, but I'll kind of just paraphrase this. I thought this email was very interesting because he mentions in the email that he uh, heard Metallica in the '90s and he it was like a punk rock kid and played football, which is I thought was kind of interesting. Like mm-hmm. most punk rock kids that I grew up with didn't play football
0: they got beat up by football exactly players.
1: <laughs> yeah so good on you cole um but he he uh mentions that he he heard you know enter Sandman and stuff played in like the locker room or the gym or whatever um and didn't really get into metallica until this h- single hardwired came out hmm. like in when was that in september they released the single i think something like that
0: it was fall yeah fall of 2016 so like
1: cole roberts is listening to our podcast as a metallica fan of less than a year. Probably one of the
0: newest fans I know
1: of. Isn't that Because we talked earlier about, you know, new generations of Metallica fans. And That's he, true. And, and Cole is in his 30s. And he talks about um, hearing Hardwired, getting really excited about it, and then listening to the first four records for the first time.
0: I mean, here's the deal. Like when I first read Lord of the Rings, I was bummed when I was done because I was like, "I'll never be able to read this for the first time again." Yeah. So in some ways, hearing that, I envy. Yeah, I was, was going to say I'm kind of envious of. I Cole. envy being able to hear Ride the Lightning for the first time, or yeah, I mean to hear puppets for the first time. Oh, it's pretty crazy. And, um, and, I, and I'm I'm asking this out of just sheer flabbergast station. Yeah. No judgment whatsoever. But it's kind of amazing that he got this far without checking it out, right? Yeah. I mean... And it says a lot about Hardwired, that Hardwired is so legit and so fucking cool that it's making people want to go check it out. Exactly. I think... I mean, this... It this, says a lot this, about Hardwired. Yeah.
1: This dude, Cole, is a, a, a perfect example of new fans... Uh, I mean, it's a good example of the impact this band still has. He's heard of the band, of course. He probably heard Enter Sandman and, and, and you know during football practice, whatever. But in his thirties, is finally like, you know what?
0: It's time to start listening to Metallica. Here's what I got to say about that. Welcome to the family, Cole. Seriously, welcome, my the friend. The water
1: is warm. I do love one of the last things uh, he uh, he wrote to us, <laughs> which. Uh, Cole, we would love to hear more about this. Is uh, my thoughts on Load, Reload, Saint Anger, and Death Magnetic are for another time. But Ooh. yeah, Black was Classic. Thanks for reading this. Oh, boy. <laughs> Cole, we would uh, please write us another email. I would We would love to hear about those records. Yeah, uh,
0: and thanks to uh, Outlaw Chris and Melody NJ for yeah, writing and in and for checking it out. And Lori, yeah. yeah Lori's, Lori, written, Lori's written to us a few times. Yeah, Lori Laker. Um, Thank you. Go, Lakers. Thanks to all you folks who are listening. We really appreciate it. And
1: thanks for sticking with us through our longest episode where I'm looking up at uh, my computer right now. We're at an hour and a half.
0: Yeah, it was the black album. It
1: had to be right.
0: If we're going to go long, it's going to be on this one.
1: That's right, man. Well, yeah, thanks everyone for listening again. And uh, as always follow us on social media on Facebook. You can search metal, up your podcast on Twitter, metal, up your PC on Instagram, metal, Up your podcast. And you can always email us at metal, up your podcast show at gmail.com. Give us your thoughts uh, and we'll see you next time. We're going to be uh, devoting our next episode to you guys, the fans, reading a bunch of stuff like we just did at the end of this one.
0: We're going to read your top tens, and we're going to read, um, yeah, your questions, letters, yeah. comments oh, about oh, Outlaw Torn. Oh, my God. Here we go. Jeez. Okay. <laughs> All right. See see you guys later on right. episode nine. Peace. <laughs> new world our advisor, what would you say? Then I would say, delete that.